Hello, and welcome to our podcast at Get Legally Speaking. Our legal conversation today will be about tax law for businesses. I am joined by Barrister Thomas Talbot Ponsonby from Three Paper Buildings Chambers in London. Thomas is an experienced commercial and chancery barrister. His work has involved and does involve advising clients extensively in relation to corporate and business taxation. And he has particular expertise in VAT and stamp duty land tax. Thomas regularly represents both applicants and defendants in the County Court, the High Court, Court of Appeal, and in the Tax and Land Registry Tribunals. Thank you very much for joining us, Thomas. Thank you for inviting me, Hattie. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Right, tax law for businesses. Now, I was saying before we started recording that there is a lot of people that when it comes to taxes, business taxes, and even personal taxes, choose to bury their head in the sand. So we're here to try and give people a little snapshot, an introduction into what is meant by all this stuff and, and, and how do they understand it a little bit better than perhaps what they currently do. So let's talk about tax law. What do we mean by when we say tax law? What does that mean, Thomas? Well, I know that people do get scared by tax law and taxation, but actually it's not that difficult. And it's it's just, I mean, tax law is any law that relates to tax without trying to be too facetious about it. Um, it's mostly governed by legislation, the Income Tax Act, the VAT Act, Sometimes every year, in fact, the government um, brings in a finance act that changes tax rates and occasionally that introduces a whole new tax, such as in 2003, they introduced stamp duty land tax and abolished stamp duty on documents. On top of that, there's some case law, um, either occasionally dealing with principles or more usually dealing with interpretation. So the courts make decisions on what the tax law actually means or what the statute means and then for VAT there's some European law and decisions of the European Court of Justice and even if we're not bound by future decisions all the past decisions will still be relevant. Okay so what we're saying is tax law basically means all the law that govern our taxes so any laws that need to apply to taxes tax law will help in that area. So who collects the tax? In the UK, and what is it used for? I mean, we we you know there's tax. We hear lots of tax on that, tax on that, tax on that. Who collects it? What do we do with it? What happens with it? Mostly, it's mostly it's collected by HMRC. That's Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Um, yes. But also, some tax is collected by local authorities. So council tax and business rates. The local yes. authorities collect those. Most taxes, especially those collected by HMRC, are now done on a self-assessment basis. So it's not as though the tax you send all your information off to the tax inspector and he has a think and tells you how much tax you have to pay. You're required to tell him all the relevant information and do the calculation and pay the tax. I think it's yes. cheaper that way just to check a few rather than to, to have to do all the work for everybody. So businesses will pay VAT, employers will pay um, individuals tax through PAYE and national insurance. Yes. Individuals might have to do their own through income tax and so on. So that's how it's collected. What is it used for? Well, although local authorities get money in through council tax and business rates and spend that money on the things they spend it on. For example, general, our refuse collection and keeping our street lighting going and keeping the streets clean locally and things like that. But let, let's, let's talk about Yes. 
in, in general terms, um, all the money the government gets in from taxation and all the money they're getting from borrowing all goes in a big pot and then they decide what they want to spend it on, which is all the day-to-day spending you see, hospitals, um, police, defence, that sort of thing. Yes. On top of that, there's, there's the spending you don't see quite so much, um, such as social security payments, pensions. pensions you don't yes. see a service out of it, but those who receive it need the money. So they don't. Um, the government doesn't necessarily say, right, we're going to collect a tax in this form um, on this particular item and then we will spend it on that particular item. What they say is we'll just collect the taxes globally uh, and then we will decide what we've got in the pot, what's each area that needs money spending on, running the country, basically. We'll spend it on that. We'll make that decision once we've got the money in the pot. That's right, yes. Okay, so let's talk about VAT. Uh, what is VAT? How does it work? Well, VAT um, is a European tax, in fact. Um, it was introduced sometime back in the 70s or 80s. I don't see, remember exactly. I said this to you earlier, and I'll say it again. That's enough to put anybody asleep. But when you say VAT in a European tax, immediately I think, oh, has it got something to do with the fact that we were part of Europe? Is it going to change when we come out of Europe? And how I would have never put VAT and European tax or the term European together in my mind at all. So it was generated because we were part of Europe? Well, what the position is that that um, member sta- there's a, there's the directive, the sixth directive, um, requires member states of the European Union to introduce, I mean, it sets out the principles, the very basic principles of VAT and tells member states they have to go and introduce legislation and implement this. Um, will we stop doing it or will it change when we've left the EU? We won't stop it. It brings in far too much money. Yes, um, it's great. It's, it's called, it stands for value added tax, doesn't it? And you mentioned earlier before we started the podcast, I'm not sure if it brings the value because it's the payer that pays the VAT, not the seller, isn't it? That's right. It's, it's nothing really to do with added value, apart from the fact, I suppose, you could say that each, each producer down the supply chain um, pays to um, HMRC, uh, effectively the tax on the value that they've added but broadly it's a consumption tax so the way it works um, is that you know most businesses pay VAT at the standard rate or most most supplies it's a tax on a supply a supply of goods or a supply of services yes so m- most supplies are charged VAT at the standard rate so I supply legal services and I have to charge VAT at 20 percent the same yes. applies to you um, some have a reduced rate, so domestic power, children's car seats, that sort of thing. They attract VAT. Some foods and things, things like that are VAT exempt. So That's know, right. a, business, a business pays VAT on a point of when it transacts and brings in that service or that goods into the company, and then somebody else pays it when they then go to get the service and, and all, the, all the goods in, you know, as for their own benefit, so to speak. Yes, I mean, it's... It's a slightly peculiar tax because, strictly speaking, the business has to make the supply and charge their sale price and the VAT. And then out of the money they receive, they have to pay the VAT off to HMRC. Yes. 
Um, yes, so you pay the VAT directly to HMRC. You don't charge VAT and then think, oh, I'll keep that because I paid it upon no, when no. I went and purchased. It is a very peculiar thing, isn't it? Because you think well, you, they pay it when they buy something and then when they sell something, they pay they, they receive it and have to they pay it off. It. Yes. They pay it when they buy something, uh, yes. but they can claim that back. And then when they sell something, they collect it and pay it to customs. And that's when you have the big arguments. Um it can make a di- big difference if, if your supply is standard rated or zero rated. Um, one of the most famous VAT cases is about Jaffa cakes. Jaffa cakes? Um, yes, Jaffa cakes. Right. Um, Tell me about the Jaffa cakes, Thomas, because well, I love a Jaffa cake. A cake is zero rated, therefore it attracts VAT at 0%, even if it's covered in chocolate. Oh. But a biscuit is normally zero rated, but if it's wholly or partly covered in chocolate, it's standard rated. Here we and go. Standard rated meaning 20%. 20%. Now, what that means is if you sell a Jaffa cake or a biscuit, say, let's, now let's, let's, I let's can say it's see a, the argument. The biscuit covered in chocolate is 20%. Yep. Digested biscuit, 20% with chocolate. Cake with yep. chocolate, zero. So how did they sort that one out? Well, Customs and Excise always initially thought that Jaffa Cakes were zero rated because they were cakes. But then they decided to change their mind and they started telling United Biscuits they had to pay lots of VAT um, on all the Jaffa Cakes they'd sold. So it went off to the tribunal and... Um, they discussed the characteristics of cakes and of biscuits. Oh my such as God! Jaffa cakes have egg in them. They, if you if you leave them, they go stale and hard. Whereas if you leave they a do. biscuit, it goes soggy. Yes. Thought, oh my goodness! When was this? Do we know the year that this took place in? Oh, it was quite a while back. I can't remember the exact year. I, so it was. So tell me the conclusion. Do Jaffa Cakes pay VAT? Are they considered a cake or are they considered a biscuit? They're a cake. They're zero rated. Excellent. So the Jaffa Cake United Biscuits had excellent legal help and advice and they obviously came out on top. Brilliant. How interesting is that? So let's talk about VAT. Let's talk about VAT inspections. So why might HMRC carry out a VAT inspection? Now, I have heard some very interesting stories over the time that oh you know hmrc come in and do a vat inspection because someone's made a complaint to hmrc about the way you run your business or the way you collect or don't collect your vat why might hmrc do that um the the powers to make an inspection are that they can do it if it's reasonably required to check a person's tax position that's when they have power to make an inspection. And according to their own guidance, reasonably required means getting the balance right between the burden that is put on someone facing an inspection and how important that is if they're deciding the correct tax position. Now, once upon a time, they used to do a certain number of inspections at random. Like just is, that, is that the case now? No. No, it's, there's, there's a risk assessment. I think they plug everything into a, a black box on their computer and it Excellent. pops up with a risk assessment <laughs> score and, right. and 
tells them whether or not how, how risky this business is. And the sort of things that they take into account is they they look at annual accounts figures with your VAT return figures. If you're a company that has to submit accounts, they, they look at sales and purchase figures for the business that they've got from third parties and compare that with your VAT. Um, they do what they call credibility checks, um, seeing whether the amount of VAT you're paying and reclaiming is about right for the type of business you're in. They look at how risky your business sector is. Some business sectors are much riskier than others. So what we're saying is essentially is that they have databases, right, that they plug all the information into about your business and about all the businesses across the sectors. And then that the machine will decide and it's designed to try and tell them which businesses are probably or likely or could potentially have the most risk of not collecting or paying VAT as it should be done. Yes, I'm, I'm sure there's human input as well. Um, yes. I described it as a black box, but I'm, I'm sure it requires intelligent input as well. But yes. well, we say, don't we, the VAT man? For some reason, VAT is the VAT man. I don't know why it's not the VAT woman, but it's the VAT man. And that's probably when the inspector comes along and says, um, I would like to inspect your business. I'd like to have a meeting with you to go through all I, your documentation. I think it, it probably is the VAT man when you expect. Yes. That's right. No, um, it probably is the VAT man. I think he wears a little bowler hat and striped trousers. <laughs> um, just like the cartoons they used to have. Yes, um, indeed. So, but I mean, there are some other things they do take into account, like tip-offs. So on the whole, they're, they're targeted on businesses where HMRC is already suspicious. So the inspectors would probably go in with the expectation that they'll find a problem and the business owes money. Yes, yes. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Okay, so let's ask a question that one of our listeners asked us ask as well. And that is, if, I'm, if I do participate in the VAT inspection, or you've, ha- you've been asked to, that you're going to have a VAT inspection, do I have to answer their questions? And what documents must I provide? Now, my view is they send you a letter and they outline what they want to see in terms of documents that you must provide. But I, I let you... Talk to me about that, please, Thomas. Well, do you have to? Um, well, it's a sort of yes and no, in that on an inspection, they can go into any part of the premises and inspect them, um, except for any part that is solely a dwelling. So if, for example, you had a pub with a flat above, they couldn't go in the flat. See, ah, very, very important point. So when you have a VAT inspection in your business, they can come into your business. So say if yes. you work from home, say if you have an office from home and your or your goods are stored at home and that's where you trade from, how does that work? If 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 they're not allowed to go into your private dwelling, your private well, that's property. any part that is solely a dwelling. If you're carrying on your business from home, it's not solely a dwelling because it's also where you're Very carrying true. on your business from. Very, very true. So, but that's very interesting, that point, because I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't think a lot of people know that in a VAT inspection, they come in, can come into your business, but they can't go into any areas that you solely and purely just live in to, to well, buy more papers and things, initially. Initially, yes. Um, and But I, I mean, one of the things is um, you don't, you know, you can refuse to let them in. You can say no, 
Yes, but then surely but, they'll go off to court, get a court, get an injunction, uh, not an injunction, get a court order well, they, and there's, stroll there's in. There's a couple of things that happen, yes. I mean, if, if they've gone to the tribunal to get um, authority for an inspection, they don't have to, but if they have and you refuse them to, to let them in, then there are penalties for that. And obviously enough, if you refuse to let them in or don't provide them with the information they're asking for, they'll be even more suspicious. And um, it's one thing when they make an inspection, but actually um, under different legislation, HMRC have much stronger search powers. Then and the so, police. as you say, they're, they're far more likely at that point to be very suspicious, go and get a warrant for a much more thorough search. And then um, there'll be pretty much nothing you can do to stop them. And they'll be much more careful to look for wrongdoing. Absolutely. And they'll be thinking, well, why? Why are you saying, why are you not allowing them in? Why are you not allowing them to look around your business? I always say, put your cards on the table. If I agree with you. You know, whilst you're getting ready for a VAT inspection, if you've seen that actually you've spotted something that you haven't done correctly or you've just buried your head in the sand, going back to what we were saying at the very top of this conversation, just lay your cards on the table. Because I think, in my experience, that they're far more likely to have some sympathy and give you assistance to put right any wrongs that you've did if you do put your cards on the table. And if you do say, look, I've done this incorrectly, or I've just not really ignored that part of my business in terms of the VAT. I should have done it better. I should have done it correctly or whatever it was, but I haven't. They're, they're more likely to give you help and to work with you to put it right than if you try and hide it, if you try and pretend it didn't happen, if you resist um, you know, the VAT man coming in and doing an inspection. I think that's got to be um, you know, sensible in terms of how people should review something if you're frightened. I mean, people are usually, we, you, we are usually concerned and worried about stuff that we don't really understand and we don't really want to understand, or perhaps we know that it wasn't quite right, but we just carried on. That's, the That's right. Nature, it they'll, happens. They'll, they'll normally give you notice of an inspection. Um, yes, they, they so can, can get prepared. Yes. But they'll normally, unless they're particularly worried that you're going to hide things, they'll normally give you notice. Yes. And so you've got a bit of time to to go through your documents, make sure everything's in order, and you should yes. use it to do that because Absolutely. nobody's going to have everything perfect. I mean, I've been buying a few things at Amazon to use at home while I'm stuck at home and can't go into chambers. Yes. And have you tried getting a VAT invoice out of Amazon? Try and get the business name on the invoice on Amazon. That's a task in itself. But oh, I think yes. one of the... You know, I think that, that, you know, if you're given notice for a VAT inspection and you're concerned, you're worried that there might be things that you, you just haven't picked up on yourself that they could pick up on and that may worry you, get advice and help. Go and find a good accountant. Go and call your accountant up if you have an accountant or call in help and advice, calling a legal person and an accountant to, to help you out because the more assistance you have, the more you'll understand, the more you can help HMRC understand. And my experience is if you put your hands up early on and say, look, this is an issue. There's an issue here. I've picked up on it or people helping me have picked up on it. Lay your cards in the table. I'll ask the VAT man for help. What would ask them? What would your advice be for me to do this better going forward? If indeed you, know, you are worried and concerned. I mean, 
you know, I, I would certainly say that. But, you know, Thomas, that's all we've got time for du- during this podcast. Um, and I do feel that we have plenty more questions to ask in terms of a part two. So thank you ever so much for your time. Well, thank you very much, Hattie, for inviting me on. Absolutely. And I look forward to part two because I know there's a, we've just literally opened the lid <laughs> and there's a lot more. Uh, there's many more questions that I know our listeners. As have long as what in. we've opened isn't the can of worms. Yes, yes. Well, you know what? If it's worms, it's worms. Sometimes it will be what it will be. But, you know, I think that this has been another useful conversation for our listeners. So uh, that's brilliant. And what I will say is don't forget to click and subscribe to our podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn by searching Get Legally Speaking. Also visit our website at getlegallyspeaking.com. Thank you very much for listening.